All right, Psalm 44, everybody. Um, we're in Summer of Psalms. This has been a thing that we've done here for a decade or so at Springbrook Church. Uh, we like to take the summer, do the Psalms, uh, because it's kind of every week stands alone. So we know people are in and out. This is a crazy time of year. Uh, you know, you make hay when the sun shines. And so we know uh, winters are long in, in Anago. So we... Uh, we like our summers. So we thought it'd be, it's just a good rhythm for us to spend the summer uh, where the weeks you can be here, you're going to hear a sermon in, in the Psalms, and, uh, but you're not missing a, like a building on each other kind of thing that we'd see in the letters of Paul or, or another uh, type of book of the Bible. So that's why we're doing this. Um, so every week kind of stands on its own in, in some sense, but they're all tied together, obviously being in the book of Psalms. So as we get into Psalm 44, we read this at the front end of our service. Um, if you weren't in the room at that point, uh, this, is, this is a psalm that's a little bit of a uh, less than positive psalm. It, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sorrow in this. And one of the reasons why I love the psalms is actually because they express the wide range of human emotions um, and experiences. And, and every human being experiences wide ranges of emotions. Now, some more than others, right? Some of us have the emotional range of a teaspoon like me, but uh, others of us uh, have much wider ranges of emotion. But all of us are emotional people one way or another. And um, everybody can understand what it's like to be sad or confused or rejected. Um, in fact, from our very first moments on earth, we experience this, even though by God's grace, we don't remember it, right? The first sounds we make in life are sounds of uh, loud protest, uh, that we are in a cold, dark world. And, and that's a reality, right? So we live in a broken world, and, and our, our tears don't stop just because we're born. We continue to experience pain, uh, relational wounds, struggles. But what do we do with that? Right? That's the question as Christians we have to wrestle with, is what do we do with this reality? And, and the Bible's really clear about this, and the, the Psalms help us understand this. Um, we should take our pains to the Lord. Right? That's what we should do. And I know that sounds really simple and kind of simplistic, but it's true. We need to take our pain to the Lord. And the Bible gives us categories for this. It gives us a category of prayer, a type of prayer that we often neglect in the Christian community. And, and that's what we would refer to as lament. Uh, a lament is a not just crying. It's not just expressing sorrow. A lament is something unique to Christians. And in fact, one third of the Psalms are laments. One third of this book. So we'll see more than this one. This is a song, Psalm of Lament in Psalm 44, but it, there's many others. Um, the whole book of Lamentations is a lament. We studied that as a church a couple years ago. Um, and it's a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem during the Babylonian captivity. Jesus lamented. Uh, we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane as he is preparing to die and suffer for sinners. And so we see lament, but lament is a form of prayer. It's a type of prayer. It's a style of prayer. Uh, it's not just expressing sorrow and emotions, although it does that. 
it really is taking our pain to God and it has a unique purpose, which is to get us to trust him in the midst of pain. So Psalm 44 is one of these prayers of lament. And we're going to see, uh, as we work through this psalm, we're going to see several categories or, or uh, elements of a lament in, in a psalm. Because a, a lament really is a kind of organized uh, way of praying through sorrows and struggles. So we're going to see a number of these as we go. And, and uh, let's, let's just start out here in verse 1 uh, through 8. We'll read it here. It says, O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days. In the days of old, you with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hated us. In God we have continually uh, boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. Okay, so laments, here's the first key here. Lamenting is bringing our prayer to God. It, it's a lament if it's directed at God. And you see that in this text, right? This is directed at God. These words are pointed to him. It starts with, oh God, those first two words. They continue to address God and acknowledge things about him. And so here's the key. If we're going to biblically suffer and biblically bring our uh, problems and struggles to God, we need to bring them directly to him, not just complain. Not just complain into the void, right? We're not just griping. That's not what a lament is. Uh, we, we need to be careful not to become George Costanza's, right? And that's, that's a struggle. If you, Seinfeld, does anyone remember Seinfeld? It's a great show. But George Costanza is a ridiculous character, right? He's, he's the perpetually negative person uh, all, they all are, but George Costanza especially. We, we need to be careful not to fall into that trap. And that's how this starts, is we get to God. We bring these cries to him. And so what do they do at the first eight verses? They, they say, oh God, look at all the great things you have done for us through our ancestors. They're acknowledging that God did amazing things in their past, in their history. He says, you performed great deeds in their days, their forefathers' days, right? With your hand, he's acknowledged, they're acknowledging that God drove out the nations. Now, this is a reference to the Canaanite conquest, right? This, this period in Israel's history that we read about in Joshua and Judges and where the, the people are led out of the wilderness, the 40 years of wandering with Moses. Moses dies, Joshua comes in, and then they begin to enter the land. And it's just battle after battle after battle with these Canaanite nations. And, and so they're acknowledging in Psalm 44 that God did the work to get them into this land, this promised land. They, he says, you planted our ancestors, but you afflicted the peoples. You set our people free, but you 
Um, but it's not by their sword that they won the land. It's not by their own arm that they saved themselves. It's by God's. They're acknowledging these truths in their prayer. Now, they're going to get into some negative things here, right? We're going to see some, some real sorrow, but they're starting out by bringing their heart to God. And right on the, out of the gate, we see the gospel in this psalm. We see the acknowledgement that the Israelites of old did not save themselves. God saved them. We cannot save ourselves from our foes. We can't save ourselves from our sin. It's not our bow or our sword or our power that can save us. It is the Lord, his hand alone that can save us. And so we see that the lament that they bring to God is first directed at him and acknowledging his goodness in the past. Now, they're not feeling that goodness in the moment, as we'll see, but they at least acknowledge that he has done wonderful things. And I think that's, that's so lacking often in our struggles as we, we get these blinders on, we get these, uh, we just see what's right in front of us instead of really seeing the big picture of what God has done. We've got to get ourselves there. But let's keep going. So first, laments are directed at God. But laments also express complaint and confusion. We're going to see that pretty pretty strongly here. Look at verse 9. Really, 9 through 22, the majority of this psalm uh, is an expression of complaint and an expression of confusion. So first, complaint. Uh, Look at verse 9 to 16. Look at what they say. But you, now again, they're talking to God, right? This is a prayer. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors and the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nation, the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and my shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. So what is their complaint? Well, their complaint is, is that God is allowing them to be defeated by their enemies. Now, of course, this was written long ago. Uh, they are fighting real battles and with real armies and all these things. And they're obviously in a place na- nationally in Israel that is not winning. And so they are feeling rejected and disgraced. But notice who they're blaming for this. You, God, have rejected us. You have turned your, you have made us turn our backs to the foe. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. I mean, it's just so accusatory. It's, they're they're just hurling accusations at God. They are, they're making a lot of accusations. And listen, this is, this is interesting. And it's, we're going to talk about this, but let's, we're seeing their complaint, but let's, look, go, let's go further. Let's look at their confusion, and then we'll try to tie these two things together. Look at verse 17 through 22. It says, All of this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. 
and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and have covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hand to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So a lament expresses complaint in the circumstances you're in, and it expresses confusion about why you're in these circumstances. Not everything is, is a clear, direct line from sin to suffering. Sometimes that's there, but not always. Sometimes our suffering is confusing, and we can't understand why it's happening all the time. And so the, the language here from verse 9 to 22 really sounds crazy to us, I think, or at least to me it does. Like, the people in this psalm are blaming God for the hardships they're facing. They are accusing him of doing wrong towards them. They're expressing here in their confusion that they haven't done anything to deserve this. That they just are innocent victims of God's uh, work in in and through the, the enemies. That they say, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We didn't, we didn't leave you. Why is this happening to us? Our hearts didn't turn back. Our steps didn't depart. You've broken us in the place of jackals. You've covered us with the shadow of death. And then they even acknowledge in verse 20 uh, and 21, like they acknowledge that they could see this if it was because of their sin, right? If we had forgotten the name of God or spread out our hand to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. They're acknowledging that if they had walked away from God, then all of this that they're experiencing would be deserved and they would, they would own it. But that's not what's happening from their perception. They are seeing themselves as innocent victims of, of God's I think of his cruelty is what they're accusing him of. So what do we do with that? <laughs> like that's, that's it's a pretty crazy thing to think about. It sounds so blasphemous in, in some sense, but yet it's in the scriptures. These words are inspired by God. They're given to us through the Holy Spirit. These are not, this is not inherently wrong. We have to just make sense of it though. What, what are we to do? Well, first we should just acknowledge that these are words that are very human. And whether we want to admit it or not, and it's not very pious to admit it, right? It's, it's, not, very, it's not very Christian to admit it, that we're mad at God. It doesn't feel very Christian. It doesn't feel very pious. We'd probably be embarrassed to admit it to our friends at church. But I think everybody has felt this. They, that we felt in some regard that we have been forgotten and forsaken by God. That the struggles of our lives, the sufferings that we've endured, whether they be big or small, ha- have led us to question the goodness of God. Again, maybe we would never articulate it that way. Maybe we wouldn't say it that way, but the scriptures give us words for this. They help us to see that there is 
a place actually in our prayer for complaint and for confusion. And that I don't think it's inherently, inherently sinful to express these things to God with a caveat. And here's, where, here's my caveat to that. The way it becomes sinful is if we walk away from God in the process. If, if we are confused and complaining to the Lord, he can handle that. He can work in that. He, he can do something with us. But if we are walking away from him and saying, well, I'm, you've rejected me, therefore I'm out, that's where the sin enters in. I think what we're seeing here is that there is a genuine human expression of sorrow and brokenness in these people. They are blaming God for what's happening and, and yet they are not walking away from him. And, and I have said this many times over the years that God is big enough, strong enough, um, secure enough to handle our criticism of him. I, I, I think there's a place where we can enter into sinful expression of these things. But I, but I don't think God is angry at us for expressing real, genuine confusion in the moment of suffering. As we back out of suffering, as he releases us from it, we get perspective and we gain perspective and we start to see and think rightly. But in the moment, I think what God wants from us is our honesty and our true hearts. And in doing that, we can find healing if we don't walk away. So while this psalm is pretty, pretty crazy at times, it's, it's like we're reading these words and we're going, well, I've never thought that I should talk to God this way. Well, now you, now you know that there's at least some, some category for that because I think all of us at times want to talk to God this way, but we, we may hold back and resist because of just fear of others. So here's lament, right? It's, it's bringing our complaints and confusion to God. But there's another thing that happens in lament. Let's look at 23 to 26. It says, Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So here's the third component of lament. First, it's a prayer to God. That's the first component. Secondly, it brings complaints and or confusion to him. And thirdly, laments boldly ask God for help. And what, so essentially, what they're saying in these three or four verses is, God, help us. Don't reject us. Don't, don't allow us to be tossed aside. This is where they go, and they appeal to God for help. Now, as they do this, they say some things that sound very harsh and even theologically incorrect. Look at what they say. They say, why are you sleeping, O Lord? That's not accurate because he's not sleeping. The psalm, uh, Psalms tell us that. In Psalm 121, verse 4, it says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is never asleep at the, at the switch. He is 
always at work, and yet in the midst of suffering, it can feel like he is asleep. And so they are telling God to wake up, stop sleeping, rouse yourself, don't reject us. Do not hide your face. Do not forget our affliction. We're suffering here, God. Come to our help and redeem us. They are boldly asking God for help. That's re- this is real bold. These are bold words. Um, not exactly correct on everything. But again, I think God can and does work through our misconceptions and misunderstandings all the time. They are asking God to help. And I think the point is that we should be asking God for help too. And we should do that in, in measure of what we're dealing with. We should not be afraid to ask God to do for us what we need. Now, we need to recognize that what we think we need may not be what we need. And, and God's going to accomplish his will. And we should ask for God to accomplish his will. At the same time, Jesus frequently throughout his ministry would ask people simple questions. Uh, one being, what do you want? If, if you had the freedom to tell Jesus what you want, what would you say? Well, here's the good news. You do have that freedom in Christ through the Spirit. doesn't mean you're always going to get what you want. He's not a genie in a bottle here to answer your wishes. But Jesus asks people frequently as you read the gospel narratives, do you want to be healed? What do you want? What, what can I do? He wants us to express our need and ask him for help. What do you want? And, and bring that to him boldly, acknowledging that you may not get exactly precisely what you want because God knows what you need. But you can still ask. And what you will receive will be better than what you think you need. Now, the final part in this and where laments ultimately are meant to take us is to trust. To get us from point A of God, essentially paraphrasing, you're, you're being cruel to us, to God, I trust you. There, there's got to be a, a way to connect that, right? That's the point, is that we need to get to a place where we're not just airing our grievances, we're not just screaming into a void. Like, did you ever see that, that meme? Um, this is, it just makes me kind of laugh a little bit. It shouldn't, it shouldn't. I mean, this lady is in real pain, but, you know, um, there's, a lady, there's, an, there's a meme of a lady just screaming at the sky at, um, at Trump's inauguration a few, few years back. Like, just to, obviously she didn't vote for Trump, uh, clear, clearly, okay. But she's just like screaming into the sky. And, uh, of course, all the conservatives mock and ridicule people like that, and for some good reason. But uh, that's not what we're called to do. We're not just called to scream into the sky. We are called to come to God and and trust him. And so here's here's where we need to go. Uh, And thankfully, this, this psalm tees us up perfectly for this. We need to go to the New Testament. And this psalm, like many of the psalms, are quoted in the New Testament is quoted. This one is quoted in my favorite chapter, Romans chapter 8. 
So it's like, oh, this is great. I can just have an excuse to talk about Romans 8. So if you want to turn there for a minute here, this is where we need to get to. It's Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 36 to 39. It's the last uh, few verses of the chapter. And here's what Paul says. He says, as it is written, and then he quotes this psalm. He, He quotes from... Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, let me look at my cross-reference. There we go. Uh, verse 22, Psalm 44, verse 22. I had a glitch there in my head for a second. Um, he quotes this, this Psalm, 44, verse 22. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So he quotes this at the end of chapter Romans chapter 8. And then he tells us, he gives us a very, very good understanding of this verse. Because the very next word, in the first word in verse 37, is the word no. No. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. Incorrect. That may be how you feel, but it is not how it is. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why Why does Paul pull out a verse from this psalm of lament? It's it's because I think he's pulling us back to this and saying this is how you may feel God is treating you, but it is not reality. What is reality? In all the things that we suffer, which he lists in the prior verse, in verse 35, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, like all things that are terrible, that if we went through them, and most of these things we haven't even gone through, but the people Paul's writing to certainly did. If we went through these things, we would be questioning God's goodness too. We may go through these things. Are we going to question God's goodness in those moments? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ, who loved us. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See, the reason Paul quotes from Psalm 44 in this amazing chapter that reminds us and sets our hearts on the eternal love of Christ is because we can feel the opposite to be true, but we have to preach the gospel to our hearts. Paul quotes this, and he tells us that it is not the case We are not just sheep to be slaughtered, is what he's saying. You know why? Because it was God in Christ who became the Lamb of God that was slaughtered for us. See, we're not the sheep to be slaughtered. Christ was the Lamb of God who was slain. He was the one who was ultimately crucified and rejected 
by the Father so that we would never be rejected. We are not the sheep to be slaughtered. Christ was, and he did that for us. Pastor Dane Ortland um, wrote a little devotional through the Psalms that he, he um, has some really profound things to say about all the Psalms, but this one in particular, here's what he writes. He says, centuries after this Psalm was written, Psalm 44 was written, God would show us just how far he would go not to forsake his people. In Jesus Christ, God drew near to sinners to assure them of his undying love. If they would only lay down their arms and humble themselves enough to receive it. He says, when you find yourself feeling forsaken, look to Jesus, to his great work of atonement, of restoring us to God. You know, that's the point. So we, we feel rejected. We may feel abandoned. But when we do, we need to look at Jesus. We need to be reminded that he is the lamb that was slain. We need to be reminded that all of God's wrath towards my sin and towards your sin was placed on him. He took that wrath and he took the rejection as he died on the cross. But it was also him who was raised. He was raised to life so that you and I could be assured eternally and forever that we will never be rejected by God if we trust in him. The lamb that was slaughtered for us is the one that we must lean on and look to in all of this. So here's, here's the reality. Lament has a place. Sorrow and expressing that sorrow to God has a place but we can't wallow in it as Christians. We have to continue to pivot our hearts back to the Lord Jesus, to what he has done, that he is the one who truly suffered. And he suffered and then was raised from the dead so that we would have an eternal life to look forward to with him. So that no matter what happens to us in this life, we're unscathed as we enter into the life he has for us eternally. We have to get ourselves there or else we just sink down into despair deeper and deeper. So look to Jesus. Take your pain to him. He cares for you. He wants you to bring your pain to him, but he also wants you to look at him and see what he's done for you. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, for your great kindness and grace to us this morning. Even now, as you have brought our hearts back to uh, your work, your accomplishments on the cross. We pray, God, that our, that our hearts and lives would be drawn more deeply into this. God, I know there's people in this room right now who are in incredible turmoil and suffering and hardship. And you know every single thing perfectly in this, whether it's relational, uh, whether it's health, whether, whether it's financial suffering, what, whatever form it takes in our lives, we, we acknowledge that it's there and we bring those things to you. I pray you would compel us to bring them more and more to you, not just complain, not just cry out into the sky, but to truly bring our hearts and our hurts to you. But Lord, would you help us? Would you pivot our hearts to you, to Christ, to the one who was truly slaughtered for us, the lamb who was slain? Would you help us to see that it's in him and only in him that we have our hope? and that we need to trust you.
So we pray for that, Lord, and we pray um, that you would meet us in this time as we respond through singing and through remembering what you've done for us on the cross. And we ask this in your name. Amen.